our message series, Q&A with Christ, uh, as we look at the New Testament book of Luke in chapter 12. Now you can follow along in your scripture or a copy of it if you have it, or it'll be on the screen. But I don't know if you saw this movie. Back in 2006, there was a film called The Pursuit of Happiness, right? It was Will Ferrell, uh, not Will Ferrell, Will Smith. And I know when I say Will Smith, it conjures up all these other thoughts, but forget all that. Uh, he's in this movie in 2006 called The Pursuit of Happiness, and there was a quote in that movie that really kind of grabbed hold of me. Um, if you don't know the story, uh, his character, Chris Gardner, is struggling. He's lost his job. He's trying to get a job. He's losing his family. Everything's falling in on him. And he's thinking and talking about <clears throat> the Declaration of Independence and this statement in there about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Thomas Jefferson um, And he writes this, or he says this at one point in the film. He says, and at that moment, I remember thinking, how did he know to put the pursuit part in there? That maybe happiness is something that we can only pursue, and maybe we can actually never have it. Interesting. We're all in pursuit this morning, right? Every one of us is in pursuit of something, um, somewhere, Subconsciously or, or consciously, we're seeking after something. And in America, we've labeled this the pursuit of happiness, right? And we all want to be happy. And so uh, we define that in different ways, that happiness. And so there's a lot underneath, underneath there. But ultimately, whatever we put a face on for that happiness, whatever it looks like, this morning I submit that the pursuit of happiness often is what prevents us from finding joy in life. What's the difference? Happiness, joy. Happy, according to the dictionary, is feeling a feeling or showing of pleasure. Joy is a state of being, the source of happiness. Now, in this passage of Scripture we're looking at this morning, Luke chapter 12, neither one of those words is here, Right? But what Jesus is speaking about is the pursuit. What we have set as our goal and what we have fixed our eyes on and our hearts on to pursue. And so the title of the message this morning is simply The Pursuit. And so we see Jesus in this passage I'll read in just a second. He's talking about the aim of one's life, the aim of your life and mine. And how what we are spending our lives aiming at or pursuing will determine whether we truly have life, whether we truly have peace, fulfillment, and joy. And in doing so, we'll know what it means to experience a little bit of happiness. Happiness is the expression of that joy, right? And it's the difference between pursuing the temporary things of life and finding the eternal. So let's look at Luke chapter 12. Um, I'm going to read verses 13 through 31. It'll be up here on the screen, I believe, right? Nice. Verse 13 says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And I have to pause there for a second because this seems so odd to me. And let me give you a little background. Right before this, right before this guy yells out, Jesus has been teaching. He's been teaching some heavy-duty stuff, some very spiritual, theological, doctrinal stuff to the crowds. 
And just before it, uh, the two verses before it say this. Jesus is teaching and he says he's encouraging those that will be put to death or even um, brought into to, to certain trials and tribulations. And he says, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is what Jesus is saying. And then it says, someone in the crowd yells out to him, teacher, tell my brother to give me my half of it. That just seems so odd to me. Does that seem out of place? Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And what about my brother and what he owes me? It reminds me of when I was a student pastor years ago in South Alabama, and I was teaching one Wednesday night, and the kids were there, and I'm teaching about Jesus, and I'm really in-depth, just pouring my heart out about the cross and all these things. And a, a teenager out in the, in the back, he raises his hand, and I go, yes. And I'm like, yes, they're getting it. They're engaged. Yes, Ashley, what? And he goes, are we going bowling Friday? Like, Get out. It just seems odd to me, but this is what it says. It says what's really on this guy's heart. Yeah, 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 Jesus. What about what he owes me? What about fairness? What about justice? We'll talk about that in just a second. So, sorry, that was just an aside. Let's keep going, verse 14. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he taught, I mean, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain, store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, uh, clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this, uh, this parable this morning, this passage of scripture, that was not only for the disciples and this gentleman, but for us today. May we 
understand the eternal truths in this passage that you're teaching us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus has been teaching when we come to this uh, interaction here. He's crowds and crowds of people. The passages before this say they're trampling one another to get to him, right? The Pharisees are asking questions. People are calling out like this gentleman uh, questions. The, the Pharisees are trying to trick him. He's, call, he's causing quite a stir. And Jesus could have cashed in on this. Time after time, we see Jesus drawing all these crowds. I mean, he could have set up a church right there, picked a couple deacons, and boom, started taking up a tithe, right? But no, Jesus is cutting to the heart. He wants, he wants to address the heart of this man, the disciples, and all of us. He never compromised the truth. He sees to your heart this morning, and, he's, and he sees to mine. This man was no different. So he yelled about an issue, you know, a temporary issue that he had with his brother about the inheritance. And some would have heard this, some would hear this and say, you know, that's right. It's about fairness. If you were to ask that guy, he said, it's about justice. It's about fairness. It's about right and wrong. Then why didn't Jesus spend a whole lot of time divvying it up between them? Jesus went deeper, right? went to a deeper place. At the heart of this man's question, Jesus saw his heart. At the heart of it, Jesus said is covetousness. Now that word originally translated from pleonexia means greed. Greed. I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, but Gordon Gekko He says, the point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for a lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies. It cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. See, at the heart of our pursuit for happiness, it's uncomfortable to think about because we wouldn't say it about ourselves, but our pursuit of happiness and success and achievement and all those things often comes down to greed. We've turned it into a noble quality, right? I want more. We want more. We deserve more. You know, we've, we start to massage words and use them to our own benefit, like equity and fairness, even justice, which are great words, great ideas. But today, what we're actually saying is, I want more. I deserve more. You have this much. I deserve that much, too. Or it's all relative to the people around us, right? I deserve more. I want as much as you have. I have this much, others have that much, and so for, the, for things to be fair, I should have as much as you have. And you see where this can go off the rails? When this becomes the center of our value system, it's tied to how much I have compared to how much you have. Life in society is no longer about right and wrong or love and peace, not even about justice and fairness because the meaning of that has changed. It becomes about getting more, wanting more holding on to more. And when that is what my life is built on, when more decides my happiness, I'll never get there. I'll never have enough. And I'll never have true joy and life. We will not live life the way we were created to live it, much less happiness. And so this guy yells out what's most important to him, what's first and foremost in his mind. And Jesus responds with one of the most meaningful passages of Scripture in my life. And I'll share why in just a few minutes. But I want us to look for just a few minutes at what Jesus is teaching us here about what it means to truly have joy, to truly have life, life that's beyond temporary happiness, but a life of satisfaction and joy. And it is 
tied to the aim and the pursuit of my life. And the first point is this. The pursuits of this world are empty across the board. Verse 15, Jesus says to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Like I said, this guy didn't think he was being greedy. He's like, this is just fair. But Jesus knows his heart, what's going on. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Listen, I'm not saying, Jesus is not saying it's wrong to be, want to be fair with the inheritance. He's not saying any of those things. He's diving into this guy's heart. But the things of the earth, the things that we pursue, they're, they're empty. You, back in 1986, there was this TV show, and it was by Geraldo, uh, Geraldo Rivera, hosted it, and it was called The Mystery of the Al Capone Vaults. And for weeks, they were advertising this thing on TV, and what they were going to do, they found a couple vaults that belonged to Al Capone, and they were in the basement of this hotel in Chicago, and it hadn't been opened, and they were... Uh, Geraldo Rivera was going to be there on scene. They were going to blow him open and we were going to find out what was in there, right? It was so exciting. I'm just, I was a little kid and I was watching. And so they get down there, the lights, camera, action, boom. They set off the dynamite, whatever. Nothing. There's nothing in those vaults. A little bit of garbage, I think. You found a bottle or something like that. I should have known, right? Um, I thought it was the coolest thing as a kid, but if that show came on today, I'd be very skeptical even beforehand. Yeah, right. It's never anything. There's never a big payoff, right? They're just trying to get ratings. But this is the reality of the world. This is the reality of the promises of the world. And we'll, uh, we'll get a smoke screen or we'll try to repackage it and, and change uh, definitions and all those things. But the, the bottom line is, over and over again, we pursue, we spend our lives and our time pursuing certain things in the world, certain aspirations, and they end up giving us nothing just the desire to pursue more. And we're obsessed with immediate, temporary satisfaction as well. You've heard the mantra, carpe diem, right? Been around a while, seize the day. But a more literal translation of that from the Latin is pluck the day. It's the idea that the day is ripe today. Pluck the day. Enjoy the moment. We've translated it today, right, to YOLO? I guess. I act like I use words like that. I don't, but I've, I've heard it from the youngsters. Anyway, YOLO, you only live once, right? Get the most out of life right now. Go for it. If you're thinking about it, go for it. Generation after generation, this is nothing new. We repackage it and give it different words, but we want to get the most enjoyment, the most pleasure out of the moment. Get it while you can get it. Even in Israel, The prophet Isaiah wrote, the attitude of Israel, the mantra of Israel is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die in Isaiah. Get the immediate pleasure right now. Let me get all I can because somewhere deep down inside of me, I know that this is not going to last. I know that it's all going to be over soon. But it doesn't take a whole lot of study of history Take a, get a book and read about ancient Rome. Read about ancient Greece. Look how society after society has risen. All roads lead to Rome until they don't. And they rot from the inside out because it's that immediate pleasure, that immediate uh, satisfaction that doesn't last. We even do it in America. I talked about uh, the pursuit of happiness, but also you've heard the term the American dream, right? James 
Adams wrote in the Epic of America, he described it as a land in which life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone with opportunity for each according to ability or achievement. Hmm, how very human of us. And not in a good way. It seems right, sounds good, right? But is that really how God designed us to have peace and joy according to my ability or achievement? The question we need to ask ourselves is, why is this constantly drawing us? Why does the pursuit of this immediate satisfaction and pleasure continue to draw us? Well, number one, life is hard, right? Life is difficult. We walk out these doors and there's trouble waiting. There's pain. There's suffering. And there's no real solutions that we can find, right? We struggle day in and day out to find satisfaction. We try to find hope and some happiness. And so all we really want is relief. I just want a few moments of relief and fun and just to forget about it a little while. But I mean, look around at the American dream. How many people are actually experiencing it? There's so many that are suffering, so many that don't have enough, don't have enough to eat. And we, we still call it the American dream. Keep trying. Keep, keep trying. You'll get there one day. And the ones who have made it have a bank account full, and many of them are still searching. Jim Carrey, the comedian actor, said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and everything they ever dreamed of so they could see that it's not the answer. Why is that? Because everything disappoints. What we've done is made the non-ultimate in life ultimate, right? What is ultimate is God and our relationship with him. It fulfills, it satisfies, it gives meaning and joy. The American dream is not that. The American dream is relative, it's subjective. It's not for everybody, as much as we say that it is. God's promises, God's desire is not relative, it's not subjective, it's for all of us. The American dream is not that fulfillment. My job is not that, my education is not that, my political power party or whichever one is in power is not that. It's not the answer. Sex is not that. None of these things are made, are meant to be ultimate in our lives. And yet we make them over and over again. We make them, they become like dragons in our lives. Tim Keller calls our dreams monsters because they destroy us. They, they possess us at some point. And then everyone else must adjust to that and we begin to destroy those that are closest to us too because I'm, I'm pursuing my dreams and you're getting in the way of that. Now, dreams are not bad. Goals are not bad, right? To work hard and to do my best. But when those become the ultimate pursuit in our lives, when we seek those things for satisfaction and peace, they destroy. And so we move through life like this guy, working to get more of, I don't know, fill in the blank in your own heart, your own life. And then we try to convince ourselves that we're okay. So interesting to me, he says in verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods. Relax. Eat, drink, relax. You got to have that conversation with yourself because it doesn't ultimately fulfill. And we see it in our culture today, our society. We're, we're caught in a cycle of pain mitigation, that's what we're doing. We, we're all on these pursuits 
of, of uh, success and achievement, relationships, all these things, and they all disappoint. And so we get into another cycle of pain mitigation, self-soothing. But we're struggling. The fact that we are drawn to that, that we need that, means that we're struggling. We can all agree on that. But that's not how we're designed to live. And that's exactly why we get caught in cycles of addiction, cycles of abuse. Because what starts out as an escape or some relief or pleasure for the moment, even even a good thing, ends up destroying and dismantling us. Listen, life is difficult and the pursuits and promises, the power offered by the world are empty. They're temporary at best. But there's good news. The good news is God is pursuing you. God is pursuing me. That's the second point here. In verse 24, look at, look at this. It says, verse 24 says, of how much more value are you than the birds? God values you. Verse 30, and your father knows that you need them. God knows about you. He knows your needs. Verse 28, but if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? God cares for you. He thinks about you. You don't have to answer this out loud, but anybody have COVID in here? Not right now. Has anyone had it? Because I had it. And it kicked me in the gut. <laughs> it was tough for me. I just laid in bed for about five days groaning. That's what I do. I'm a big baby when I'm sick. Just groaning, right? But I had the best caregiver. My precious wife. I don't want to embarrass her, but she's the best. And she said the very first day that I got it, I was feeling terrible. She said, well, I guess I'm going to get it because I'm not just going to leave you in the bedroom and put your food under the door. So she cooked for me. She served me dinner and lunch and all those things. She brought me medicine. She went to the store, got me what I needed. She kissed my forehead. And four days later, she got it. Now, of course, she's superwoman. It didn't bother her at all. She wasn't laying in the bed groaning like me. Good thing, because I'm not half the caregiver that she is. But that kind of selfless care and love is a beautiful thing. It's what poems and songs and Love stories are written about. God loves and cares for you far greater than any person, anybody ever could, and that you, better than you could for yourself. There's a beautiful passage of Scripture in Psalm 139, verse 1 through 6. It says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. God knows you this morning. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path. He's pursuing you. And my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God cares for you and loves you more than you could ever imagine. He wants to be ultimate so that all the other things, all the other priorities in life can be balanced, can be put in the right order. But it comes, first of all, his love for us. And we're all a bit sick, right? The Bible says spiritually we're all sick. We need care. We're broken. We can't fix ourselves. 
The brokenness we see in the world around us is a result of this spiritual sickness. But God cares. He hasn't turned his back on us. He pursued us through Christ and the cross. See, we were created for a relationship, right, with God, for dependence on him. And that's where we struggle, right, especially in New York City. I don't, I can make it. I'm here, right? I'm going to make it. I work hard. But we were created for dependence on God. Our instinct is to say, I don't need any woman. I don't need any man. I don't need anything for happiness. I can find it on my own. I'm tough enough. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. People like me. And that's true. We don't need one another ultimately for satisfaction, for affirmation. However, you and I were all, each of us created not to be independent though. You were created with a pebble in your shoe, just like me. Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has set eternity in the heart of man. That pebble in my shoe that says, yeah, in the midst of doing all these things and trying to achieve all that, there's more. There's something else. And it's that relationship with God that he's calling you to, that he wants for you. The reason we continue to slide towards, see, we know that. We're independent, right? We don't need anything. We don't want anything. And yet, time after time, we continue to slide into wanting others' affirmation, wanting others' approval, right? We keep, why do we keep sliding to that? Because there's a spot in us that's for God that if, until he gets it, we're going to continue to try and fill it with those other things and those other people. And then we ask the people in our lives to be what they were never intended to be, ultimate. That's a place for God. And that's what the gospel is all about, right? God saw us in our need. He cares for us. He loves us. We talked about this um, a few weeks ago with John three sixteen. For God so loved. This all starts with God. He sees us in our brokenness. He sees us in our struggle. He sees us... Um, among the empty promises of the world, and he loves us and cares for us and pursues us. God so loved that he gave. God gives us what is ultimate if we will take it, and that is restoration to him. That is a life lived walking with him that goes beyond this life. So the challenge this morning is, Whatever we bring to Christ, whatever we think is our greatest need this morning, we all come in carrying struggles, carrying um, pain. The answer is not what I think it is. We cannot self-diagnose ourselves. God has done that. Just like this young man or this man who comes to Jesus and with what he thinks is the problem, and Jesus says, no, not, that's not the problem. What's the problem is in the middle of your heart, you're pursuing something that is not eternal, that does not give life. And that takes me to the last point, which is the pursuit of Christ is the key to life. It's the key to joy. He says in verse 21, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And then in verse 31, Instead, he's talking about all this piling up possessions, pursuing all these things of life. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. This is not a name it and claim it. He's saying, pursue Christ, pursue God, seek him first in your life, and he will organize, he will balance, he will begin to provide 
what I really need and help me to understand what I really need in life. Me making the change to pursue Christ is only a response when I know his love for me. It's a response of his grace and love for me. He gives me the opportunity to respond in faith because we were created for God. You know, you and I were created for God, not the other way around. So there's that homing signal drawing us to him. The question is, when we hear it, will we respond or will we resist? And Christian, this is happening every day to you. This war is happening every day. This draw towards making non-ultimate things ultimate in my life, replacing Jesus on the throne of my heart with other things, with other people. The rest of that John 3.16 says, For God so love, right? So we know it's a God thing. He pursues us. God is pursuing you this morning. But he says that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's faith. And some may say, that just seems so simple. Faith, that's just too easy. It's really not because what faith is, faith is a, I'm no longer trusting in myself or the world or the things of the world to save me. And that's no small, that's no small adjustment. To be a Christian, I put my faith To know Christ, to walk with him, I put my faith in what Christ has done to restore me to the Father. Not in what I can do. Not in my pursuits. I trust that he's pursuing me. I've heard it. I believe it. I trust it. And the Bible describes that when I put my faith in Christ and his pursuit of me through the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, the Bible describes that as crossing from death to life spiritually and eternally. And it's the most important aspect of life this morning. Whatever else you're pursuing pales in comparison to that relationship. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And that's really the definition of sin is my yearning for independence from all that. No thanks. I want to pursue the things of this world. I can see, touch, taste, feel. Even though they over and over again, they disappoint. It's like Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, they had God's desire for them was to walk with him. A daily walk with him. He used to walk in the cool of the evening with them. And then it says they saw this shiny thing over here, right? This tree, this fruit. This looks better. I want some of that too. God's like, no. I want you. No, we want this instead. We've been doing that ever since. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. No, I, I want this other thing. And we pursue and we pursue and we pursue. Christian, let me challenge you this morning. We have our way, each of us, of doing things in a comfortable way, the way that makes us comfortable. We have little pursuits that become big pursuits and that take over and take the place of Christ as Lord. Comfort becomes more important than obedience. Religion becomes easier than relationship. The path of least resistance becomes our default over faith. Self-sufficiency over surrender every day. And the Christian faith is not about getting it right every day. It's about a journey, a pursuit. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. The only way to live in the promises of God is to stay in that pursuit. 
It's a strange dynamic, I know, because when you receive Christ, when you come to the cross and say, you know what, I can't do this, I can't save myself, God, I trust that you reached out through through Christ to save me, to bring me to yourself, to forgive me, I trust that. When that happens, you are signed, sealed, and delivered, the Bible tells us. You are His. He gives you new eyes. He gives you a new heart. He gives you new desires. And yet at the same time, there's this fallen world we live in. There's this constant draw. There's this constant uh, desire for distractions and this consistent slide. And he calls us. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. It's not just one time. It's with your life. You want to know blessing? You want to know true happiness? You want to know true, true joy? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He says, and, and then you'll see it. You'll see it happening in your life. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it to the fullest, abundantly. Matthew 6 is the same recollection of this uh, account with this man, and he, but he puts it this way. Matthew put it this way. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I said this passage meant a lot to me when I was in college i remember i was going down to the lake every day i think i've shared with you guys this but this aspect of it i don't know that i've shared and that is i would go down to the lakeside and i would begin to pray i would just begin to talk to god and i began to open the bible and start looking through scripture and i was seeking after god and i wanted to know his will for my life i just wanted to know and but i didn't have a job either <laughs> so i'm in school and i don't have a job and i have a wife and a baby And we were struggling. We were poor, really struggling with food and everything. And so I was like applying for jobs and I wasn't getting any. And I wanted to like work at a church or something, you know, and I just wasn't getting any of that. And I was just, I would go to that lake every day and I would be praying. I would say, God, help me. And I kept coming back to this passage of scripture over and over again. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God over and over again was telling me, Steve, I want you. I don't want to be a tool for you to get what you want. I want you. I want you to trust me. I want you to to love me, seek after me, seek to know me more. Don't come looking for a special verse that you can put on your mirror that says, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a great verse. But it means even in the trials and tribulation that I'm surely headed for, I can trust in him. I'll fix my eyes on him. He'll give me peace. God has used that period in my life even now. Steve draws me to himself. When we have pain and suffering, when there's times things are going on in life and I don't understand, things hurt, burying people, sitting at the, the deathbed of loved ones and friends and those that are suffering and sick, I often go to God and pour out my heart to him. And he says, come, just come closer, come to me. And he holds me and he gives me peace that passes understanding because I come to him. So how do I find real joy? Not by pursuing happiness. Not by chasing achievement or wealth. Not not in temporary things of this world. Not, Not by proving that I am better than where I came from. You know, some of us are fighting ghosts of the past. A lot of people in New York City, I'm gonna make it here. I'll show everybody. I'll show the people Behind me, the pe- where I've come from, I can make it, right? I'm proving something. If I can make it here, I can make it anywhere, right? 
Jesus says, if you want life, if you want joy, if you want hope this morning and peace, let go of those pursuits, pursue me, and I will shift your life around. I will give you success in my eyes. Jesus is calling us to shift our perspective this morning. Otherwise, one day we'll we'll be busy, busy, busy. One day we will hear those words that he talks about in that parable. Fool, tonight your very soul is required of you. Nothing else that you've done or acquired, your soul. And where is your soul in perspective to God, your relationship with him? Christian, let me encourage you this morning as I close. Organize your life in such a way that pursuing Christ and growing in your faith and understanding of His Word and will is first. Confess sin on a regular basis. We all fail daily. What happens is what sin wants to do is isolate. I always knew when my my kids were uh, growing up, I always knew when something was up. Because instead of being down watching TV and hanging out with the family, all of a sudden they disappeared. Like, where's so-and-so? Oh, he's in his room. again. Okay, again? You know, all of a sudden, it was slowly. I could see the signs. He was just kind of separating himself, like, or herself. I don't want to talk about anybody in particular. And then you knew something was, that's what sin wants to do. That's what it wants to do this morning. As you walk out of here, you want to go, forget that, and walk on. And isolate you from God. That's what it does in our lives. It isolates me. And I go on with my own pursuits. That's not what God created you for. He wants you to come experience His love. Walk with Him. Seek first His righteousness and He'll put the others in order. I'm going to close. I promise. I say I'm going to close all the time. This is it. I'm going to close with this, this verse of Scripture. Two verses. Psalm 16, 8 and 9. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. This morning, pursue that. Pursue giving Christ that place in your heart and in your life. And the happiness, the joy, the heart that is glad, your whole being rejoices, that comes from Him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for uh, forgiveness. Thank you for compassion and care that you give us every day, Lord God. Doesn't, it's not built or dependent on our pursuit of you. It is, Lord, your faithfulness, your goodness towards us. And Lord, we're on a journey, each one of us. And um, God, I pray that this morning, that, that journey would be towards you that we would uh, fix our eyes on Christ, the one that you sent to split time in two to be a spectacle on that cross, that day that we're still talking about all these years later, the world is talking about that spectacle that your desire, your purpose was to draw attention to your love, your provision, your grace for us. Lord, we've made it so many other things, but that is your demonstration of love, Jesus on the cross for us. May we fix our eyes on him. May we give our lives to you 
And Lord, may we live life to the fullest, abundantly, with joy, uh, because we're walking with you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do. Thank you for uh, this day. Guide us as we leave this place in Jesus' name.